Uh, as Paul said, my name is Michael, and I am thankful that uh, you guys are here today. Out of all the places you could have been, I'm thankful that you stopped in. And um, we have been walking through the story of Acts uh, for the past year. And um, this morning, just as I've been thinking about and praying about uh, today specifically, uh, I wanted to start uh, probably in a different way. Um, and this might sound odd or might sound even kind of heavy, uh, but I wanted to apologize. And uh, just as I was praying, and this, is, this will hopefully make a little bit more sense as we get into the story in Acts 15, uh, but I just felt really heavy-hearted uh, this morning, um, and I just wanted to apologize. I feel like uh, a lot of the people that I've been meeting who have been coming to Genesis recently, uh, whether just visiting uh, as guests... Um, They've been hurt by the church, um, and a lot of people that I meet who don't currently come to uh, Genesis or go to any church for that matter um, that I meet, and when I'm talking to them about you know uh, our church and inviting them to come, uh, the response that I've been getting a lot recently is, oh, I, no man, I've been too hurt by the church, and I just feel like it's been a common thread or common theme over the past a few months, uh, and in many ways, I was just telling someone actually in first service uh, when they were asking, why did, why did you name it Genesis? And I was like, well, Genesis just means beginnings uh, or to begin again. And my heart in the church was that this would be a place of beginnings. Um, and so, again, I, I know it might seem odd, uh, and I certainly can't represent every single church uh, across the world, uh, but I just wanted to say I was sorry. Uh, if you're here this morning and you have been hurt uh, by the church, uh, maybe something that someone said to you, maybe something that even a pastor said uh, in teaching or just an interaction you had with someone, and for years, um, months or years, you've been carrying around just a, a wound or a hurt or frustration uh, towards the church that has translated into it's impacted your walk with God, uh, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. Uh, it may not be me who directly hurt you, as it were, uh, and so this, I realize, might not carry that much weight, but as I was praying about our time together this morning, I just feel really heavy uh, for the men and women who have been hurt by the church, um, and specifically the men and women who um, don't come to church because of something that was said or done to them. Uh, they were treated a certain way, they were looked at a certain way, and um, we by no means are a perfect church, uh, but I just wanted to say, especially as we head into Acts 15, if you have been hurt... Um, I'm sorry, and I just wanted to encourage you, uh, let's work through that hurt together, uh, whatever it might be. I think one of the things that I have seen mostly of people who have been hurt by the church uh, is usually something said that just was not true. Uh, something specifically was said to you, maybe about God, that led you to believe something about yourself uh, that just was not true. Uh, and so one of the things at Genesis that uh, we take very seriously is making sure that when we're talking about the scriptures, as best as we possibly can, we're faithfully articulating and communicating, this is who God is, and this is what God is like. Um, just uh, this past week, I got an email from someone, and uh, I'm going to share with you um, uh, that email. I'm not going to share the whole thing, uh, but it said this, uh, Pastor Michael, I just wanted to tell you something amazing that happened to me today. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This was just this past uh, week. 
and um, goes on in the email to talk about uh, a lot of the hurt and a lot of the pain that uh, this individual had been carrying around uh, for a long time, um, and went on to say, I wanted to believe in God, but it was just so hard. And the hard was a reference to just everything that they had seen, everything that had been done to them, everything that they had been through. Uh, And so I wanted God to send me a sign, and then would you know it, I saw the Genesis A-frame sign. You know, at the time when we bought those, I was like, man, these are really expensive signs. And I can't tell you how uh, much, how thankful I am that we've invested in just buying a, a silly sign that has an arrow that says Genesis this way. Um... I wanted him to send me a sign, and I saw the Genesis A-frame sign. And he goes on just to talk a little bit about more what uh, God had been doing. And he just, he closed by saying, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, as I write this, I'm in tears. <laughs> What's funny is, um, from the bottom of my heart, I write this uh, as I am in tears, and I am sure you are as you read it. <laughs> and... Um, Do you think that would have probably crushed that person who started the email by saying, I wanted to share with you something that amazing, I want to share with you something amazing that had happened. If I shot a response that was that response, do you feel like it would be amazing anymore? Or do you feel like a seed would have been planted of like, wait, I'm missing something? Because like, I thought you said it was just about Jesus, and now you're telling me that I, I need to do something more on top of that? And so I I would have planted the seed in that individual's heart of, it's not actually just grace, it's grace plus. Um, It is grace, don't get me wrong, it is grace, but there's a plus symbol next to grace. And I feel like a lot of where people have been hurt uh, in the church is the message has been, whether intentionally or unintentionally communicated, that If you want to know God, get right with God, experience the love of God, and just walk with God and enjoy God, it's grace plus. God does something, but then you also have to do things in return. Just so you know, I sent him nothing along uh, the lines of that email. Uh, Through tearful, as much as one can cry at a keyboard, I just celebrated with him. Just let him know how excited I was for the decision uh, that this person uh, had made to begin uh, the journey. Um, this morning, we're in Acts 15, and this is a really pivotal chapter because if they don't get it right here, then what's going to happen is the message that would be communicated for centuries to come would be its grace plus. The message that people had been hearing and receiving and responding to was its grace. But something happened in Acts 15. Uh, a bad pastor came along and started teaching grace plus. And consequently, people began to get hurt. Uh, So if you have a Bible, open up to uh, Acts chapter uh, 15. And I'm just going to read parts of the story here. Um, And before I read that, um, and you can keep flipping to Acts 15, we'll put it on the screen as well. Uh, I want to just ask you the question of, can you imagine, because I want to get you in the frame mind of the men and women who are in Acts 15. Can you imagine... Uh, growing up your whole life believing one thing only to discover that that one thing you believed was the wrong thing. Imagine you believed one thing your whole life, but you discovered that this one thing was actually the wrong thing, but what was hard for you is this one thing, it wasn't a bad thing. It actually was a good thing, 
because that one thing that wasn't bad but was good for you, it made you feel good. It gave you a sense of purpose. It gave you a sense of identity. It gave you a sense of value and worth. So can you imagine learning that the one thing that you didn't think honestly was a a bad thing was a wrong thing? How quickly would you be able to transition and say, my whole life I've been thinking this one thing, and I've actually thought it was kind of a good thing, but now it's a wrong thing. How quickly would you be able to walk away from that one thing and say, I want to experience the new thing? So if you can at all connect or relate with that, then you might be able to begin to understand uh, how hard it was for people in the first century, specifically where we are in the story of Acts, to, they're so familiar with the law that the way that they thought they got right with God was by doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this. But the message that is now being preached and proclaimed is, it's not grace plus, it's just grace. But you lived your whole life thinking it's plus this, it's plus this, it's plus this, and then someone comes along and says, drop the plus, it's just grace. This is a little bit of the story in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas, remember Paul and Barnabas had just completed their first missionary journey, traveled about 1,500 miles over the span of three years, visited about 15, 16 different cities. They've now returned to Antioch. So while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Get that circumcision is a little bit lost on us. We're like, what's the big deal? It's circumcision. Uh, to them, circumcision was their identity. What set them apart as the people of God is that if you were circumcised, you were part of the covenant uh, community. Uh, so the teaching that, is he- that these men and women are hearing in the church, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Remember the email I sent back? Yeah, you did a good step towards God, but there's one more thing that you have to do. Paul and Barnabas, love these guys. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. That means like they were ready to throw down with these teachers. They were angry. They were frustrated that someone would communicate and teach a message other than grace, uh, to teach grace plus. Uh, they argued with them vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by uh, some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. So what happens in the rest of Acts here, in Acts 15, is the church is like, we don't know what to do about this. Paul and Barnabas are saying one thing, but these believers are telling us another thing. So what do we do? Let's send Paul and Barnabas along with some other and have you go see uh, what's happening in Jerusalem. Uh, The leaders, the elders of the church will make a decision upon this. And so they traveled to uh, Jerusalem. And I'm going to pick up, it's uh, verse verse 10. Okay, so Peter is greeted by Paul and Barnabas, and Peter's response in verse 10. So why are you now challenged by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke? we nor our ancestors are able to bear, okay? He's asking the teacher, why are you anything else to the message? You couldn't even bear that burden. Why are you that this is what you have to do? And verse 11, Peter says this, we believe 
that we are all saved of the Lord Jesus. Peter's response, it's not grace plus. We're all saved by the exact same way, the undeserved grace of Jesus. And by the way, if you wanted a definition of grace, because we're going to be talking a lot about grace today, it's just an undeserved gift. And the gift here uh, is God. God gives us himself. God gives us the ability to know him, to be in relationship with him. Now and for eternity, grace means undeserved. God came to us. And the story goes on. Peter has spoken up. Now it's Barnabas's time to speak up. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, we got some stories to share of what God is actually doing amongst the Gentiles. The brother of Jesus, younger brother of Jesus, who's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, when they had finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And then verse 15, he asks a great question. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted uh, would happen. And so James is trying to tell the Jewish teachers, like, how did you miss this in Old Testament? It's like right there in the Old Testament that God said that the Gentiles would actually come to faith as well. And so, again, the question is, is it grace or is it grace plus? Is it just Jesus or is it Jesus plus I do something and then I get something? And the story finishes, I'll finish in verse 19 and 20. Uh, it says this, um, And so my judgment, and this is James talking, is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make this difficult for them. Why? Because it's just grace, as Peter said. And I'm going to have some comments on what James says uh, next, but I want to read it to you just to plant this seed. Not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. Again, I'll explain this a little bit later, but I know it sounds strange, like food and offered to idols and strangled animals and blood and and sexual immorality. And he says in verse 21, for these laws of Moses have been preached in the Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many, many generations. Um. So that's a little bit of the story what happened. They have a question. They go to Jerusalem, and they get an answer. And the answer is, it's just grace. It's not grace plus. And this morning, what I wanted to do, and my aim is not to cover every single point uh, that I have because I have a lot of them. My aim is, if it is all grace, if it is just grace, then what does that life of all grace actually look like? Because I could paint for you a really hard, cruel picture of what a grace plus lifestyle looks like, because it used to be my life, of trusting in God's grace, but then trusting a lot in myself, my performance. I don't want to do that. What I wanted to do is paint a picture from what I learned from Acts 15 of what a grace lifestyle actually looks like. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it very well uh, when he said, Uh, If grace does not make us differ from other men, it is not the grace which God gives. And that was Spurgeon's way of saying, 
Listen, if grace is not making a difference in who you are and how you live and how you understand God and how you relate and connect with the men and the women around you, it's probably not the grace of God. It's a different thing. Because the grace that God has for you, the grace that God has for me, it will change you. It will change you in incredible ways. So um, here we go. Uh, I'd encourage you to write some of these things down. Again, my aim was to hit you with as much as I could because when you talk about grace, there's so much to think through and talk through. But here's what I learned from Acts 15. Uh, Number one, grace in others is worth fighting for. Grace in others is worth fighting for. Acts 15.2, Paul Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. It might seem odd to you, but Paul and Barnabas said, we're going to pick a fight with you because what you're saying is wrong. And if people actually believe the lies that you are saying, you're going to lead them astray. You're going to lead them to live a grace performance-driven life, and that will be a miserable existence. I am thankful that Paul and Barnabas, their attitude was like, oh, gosh, if we say something, then these guys might not like us, and they don't want to rock the boat too much. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just circumcision. I'm thankful that when they heard something that was inconsistent with who God is and what God is like, Paul and Barnabas said, not on our watch. We will fight with you to make sure that no one believes this lie that you are trying to teach other people. And what I see in Paul and Barnabas' response is they didn't want other people to miss that it's just grace. It is not grace plus something else. It is just grace. So grace in others is worth fighting for. And I I realize this might sound like a peculiar question, but is there anyone that you need to pick a fight with? Because there might be. And I want to be clear when I say that. The context was these were believers in the church teaching the church something that was wrong, dead wrong. And Paul and Barnabas, this was not like going and picking a fight with a guy on the street who had no clue who God was. They didn't pick a fight with them. They picked a fight with someone in the church to say, no, we're not going to let you lead someone astray. And I wanted to communicate to you, if the grace of God has been received, uh, it is worth fighting for so that other people can receive it as well. So when there is someone who is leading someone astray, either by how they're living or what they're saying. I think scripture makes clear, you tell them that they're wrong. You be gracious, you be kind, you be loving, but at the end of the day, if someone is leading someone else astray, far from God, you tell them, not on my watch. Why? Because I get grace, and I so desperately want that person to see grace as well and experience the grace of God. Number two. If you're thinking, wow, he's telling us we can pick fights with people. Gosh, what's coming next? All right, number two, grace. It makes the most of every opportunity. Now, I didn't read this when I was summarizing the story here, but Paul Barnabas, they're going to Jerusalem. The mentality was, we got to get to Jerusalem. We got an issue to solve. We got to figure out, is it grace or is it grace plus? Um, But it says in verse three, The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. And they told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being uh, converted. 
I love that Paul and Barnabas, they had a mission, but they didn't have blinders on so much so that they had a category that says, you know what? We have so much grace. Why not just stop along the way and encourage people along the way? We're not going to live in Samaria. We're going to pass through that region. We're going to pass through that area. So why not take time to encourage people as we go? And I just love this picture of they could have just headed straight to Jerusalem and ignored every single person that they met and said, no, I got to get there. I got to get there. And it's kind of the picture I have sometimes of how we live. We're so focused on what's happening in my world, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, what I need to be doing, that I'm completely oblivious to the men and women that are around me. But grace compels me to say, man, live with your eyes open. And on the way to where God might have you go, encourage as many people as you can with the grace of God. And I love how it says in verse 3, they told them much to everyone's joy. Because that's what grace does. It produces joy. Question for you on this one. Is there anyone in your path right now uh, that could just use a simple reminder of who God is and what God is like? A friend uh, that uh, I now have a friend uh, is a cashier at a store I go to pretty frequently, and it's not Chipotle. I do go to other places besides Chipotle. Not often, but... um, And every time I walk in, I'm just like, Lord, I just want to encourage this person with grace. I tell her about you. Like, I love talking about you guys. Like, I love it. Because I know when the people that I invite to come, come, they're going to be loved. They'll be cared for. And so every opportunity I have, just with this individual I'm thinking about, just plant another seed of grace. Smile and encourage her and bring joy. The third point I would give you, and please write this one down. If you're not a note taker, at least take this note. Number three, grace is for all people. Everybody. Nobody is ruled out. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're currently doing, no matter where you've been, grace is for every single person. Every single person. There is nobody who is excluded or ruled out. Acts 15, Peter says this, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith where people get hurt in the church is the church wrongly has a category called us and them. And I just want you to know, in God's economy, in God's church, there is no such thing as us and them. None. How dare I ever look at somebody else who might look different than me, think different than me, act different than me, and say, well, they're a them. They're not with us. Grace It's for all people. And what I'm thankful for in in this here is this is coming from Peter. Because Peter used to be an us and them type of guy. Until God said, Peter, what are you doing? And he says, this is what Peter said uh, in response to what God had taught him in Acts 10, 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. I just want you to know if With grace, plus, it's us and them. If you go grace plus, it is us and them. But that's not what God says. 
God does not play favorites. How could we possibly play favorites? How could I have a category of there are them? Grace is for all people. And I don't know if this is just for one person, but this morning as I was literally getting dressed, I just wrote down in my journal, because uh, I felt like God really wanted me to stress this point, that there might be someone here right now who you just, you stop believing that God's grace was for you. And I wanted to encourage you to start believing again. God's grace is for you. And he's got more grace for you than you know what to do with. And if you think you've gone too far, if you think you've done things, if you think you've been places, if you think that it's not enough, I just wanted to encourage you. Scrap that. God wanted to encourage you. That his grace is for you. His grace is for you. Uh, Number four, grace allows us to travel lightly. This is a great one. Uh, It's this picture that because of grace, because of God's gift of grace to us, it just means I can put down all of my bags. And in my bags are masks. In my bag is the mask of I got to appear this way, I got to look this way, I got to act this way. In my bag is just all these different ideas of performing. I've got to act this certain way so that God thinks this way of me, so that people think this way of me. But if you're a grace person, if you are just grace, not grace plus, if you're grace plus, the bags will be heavy and the bags will be many. But if you're just a grace person, you can put the bag down and just learn how to travel lightly. Uh, Peter said in Acts 15 verse 10, Uh, Why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Like, why would you do that to somebody? You couldn't even carry that. Why would you ask them to start carrying it? And I, I like how Peter says, why are you now challenging God? Don't you know that's not how God works? Now, again, go back to the one of the very first questions I asked you, if you grew up believing one thing and you realized the one thing was the wrong thing, but that one thing was a good thing to you, how quickly would you be able to put that one thing down because it's the wrong thing? For generations, they grew up believing that it was grace plus. But God used the law in the Old Testament to show people you need a Savior. You can't live up to the law. You're not perfect. You're sinful, so you need a Savior. But the people took the law and said, oh, we're going to use the law to impress God and impress other people. And Peter reminds them, you couldn't even carry your own weight. Don't put that on somebody else. Romans 8, uh, Paul says it very well. The law of Moses was unable to save because of the weakness of our sin. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son and body Uh, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And what Paul is trying to say there is, don't you get that Jesus is the one who came to abolish so you don't live by the law, we live by grace. Jesus fulfilled all of that. If you're going to be grace, if it's all grace and not grace plus, uh, One of the things that, uh, one of the ways that I wrote it down in my journal is what all grace does is that it frees me um, 
to travel lightly. Grace allows me to put down the bags filled with the masks I often wear. Grace frees me from pretending that I have it all together. See, I don't have to try to impress you anymore with how spiritual I think I am. I don't have to try to impress you with how good of a husband or a good of a dad or good of a friend or good of whatever. Grace says, Michael, stop pretending. Stop pretending. I like how Tully and Chavinjin in his book, One Way Love, said it this, this way. Grace liberates us to be okay with not being okay. We can stop pretending that we are anyone but who we actually are. Uh, a great author who I learned a lot from about grace, uh, Brendan Manning, said this. The good news means we can stop lying to ourselves. The sweet sound of amazing grace saves us from the necessity of self-deception. As a sinner who's been redeemed, I can acknowledge that I am often unloving, irritable, angry, and resentful with those closest to me. When I go to church, when I go to church, I can leave my white hat at home and admit I have failed. God not only loves me as I am, but he also knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. That's a a great way of just saying, stop pretending. Grace frees you from pretending to be something that you're not. Grace allows you, I wrote it down in my journal like this, grace allows you to be who you are, where you are, so that God can meet you in that place to take you where he wants you to go. But as long as we pretend, as long as we carry the plus, we're going to have a hard time experiencing what God has for us because we're living trying to fake him out. My invitation to you this morning is I wanted you to invite you at least. This is a hard decision to just come out, to stop pretending, to stop faking the people out around you and just say, this is who I am and this is where I'm at. And I'm thankful that God's grace can meet me in this place. And I'm thankful that God's grace can take me where he wants me to go. I know it's really hard. It was years back, but I remember the point in time where I was like, God, I'm so sick of living with a mask. It's so suffocating. And I always feel like this mask is never good enough anyways. And I just, Michael, take the mask off. I love you as you are. I love you where you are. And my grace is going to take you where your mask never could. Uh, Number five, uh, grace declares that we are safe. Grace declares uh, that we are safe. Acts 15, uh, Peter said this, We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. I received, uh, just growing up, some bad teaching on this. And um, I just grew up under the the banner and the weight and the pressure of like, wow, there's actually something that I could do uh, to lose the grace that God's given me. In other words, I I thought that I I could lose my salvation. Once that God saved me, I just lived in constant fear. Gosh, if I do this, if I look at this, if I say this, if I'm with this person, that there's something that I could do where God would say, whoa, I don't know what happened to you, but you're gone. And I received, and it wasn't that overt in the teaching, but it just came out of 
It's, it's grace plus. Grace will save you, but it's going to be your works. It's going to be your effort. It's going to be your performance. It's going to be your good behavior. It's going to be all of those things that's going to keep you. But watch out, because if you lose a step, if you stumble, if you fall, watch out. And when I read this, I am so reminded that what Peter declared to the church, because of God's undeserved grace, we're safe with God. It's God's grace that saves me, and it's God's grace that keeps me, and it's God's grace that will bring me home. That's it. Now, some people, you might really struggle with that and say, well, gosh, Michael, that would just seem to say to me, why don't you just do whatever the heck you want to do then? Like, if there's nothing that I could do to make God stop loving me, if there's nothing where, that I could do uh, once God has saved, His grace has come into my life, why don't I just go do whatever the heck I want? Why don't I sin as much as I want to? And it's a great question. It's a fair question, and it's a question that someone posed to Paul because he says in Romans 6, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Because some people were thinking, well, God's gracious, and I'm a sinner, so I might as well sin and let God do what God likes to do. God loves to forgive, so why don't I just give him a lot of things to forgive me for and just live my life that way? And Paul goes on to say in verse 2, of course not. Remember, the question was, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it any longer? And my challenge would be to the one who says, well, if God's grace just keeps me and it's, I, God can't lose me, I'm just going to go do whatever the heck I want to do. My challenge to you would be, I don't think you really understand what God has done for you. And I don't think you understand what grace is. Because as Spurgeon said, grace changes you. When you really consider what God has done for you, at the cost of his son, sending his son as an expression of his grace, as a demonstration of his love, it would be inconceivable to say, well, I'll grab that, but I'm still going to grab this over here. So I wanted to encourage you that grace declares that we are safe. And for some people, this is like too scandalous. That can't be true. Well, my invitation would be wrestle with the story of Jesus. I've given Jesus so many opportunities and times and reasons to walk away. But every time I've said, Jesus, Michael, I have more grace for you. I cover that as well. Uh, Again, quoting Brendan Manning, he said it well. The gospel of grace calls out, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God made visible in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must be convinced of this. Trust it and never forget to remember. Everything else will pass away, but the love of Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're going to stumble, but God's grace is sufficient. Uh, Number six, I hope you're still with me. Number six, grace can transform anyone. Anyone. That means you. That means me. Okay, I don't know if you looked at Acts 15 this way, but we've got an elder meeting taking place. And let's consider who's sitting at this round table. You've got Peter, you've got uh, Paul, and you've got James. And I'm not suggesting that there's no other people at the table, but what I am suggesting, the, the primary voices at this meeting is Peter, 
and James and uh, Paul and James. Okay? Let me remind you of Peter. A girl comes up to Peter and says, Hey, don't you, aren't you with Jesus? Don't you know him? Aren't you one of his followers? Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. Paul says of himself in Galatians, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church? I did my best to destroy it. James, uh, John uh, says this of James, the brother, for even his brothers didn't even believe in him. What a great elder team. You have got somebody who is a former doubter, denier, and deserter, a persecutor and murderer, and at best a skeptic. So when I consider who's sitting at this round table, I am reminded that grace can, can transform anybody. Anybody. How does Peter go from saying, I swear to God, I do not know this man, to then saying, yeah, he's the only way we can know God, and I'm with him. How can Paul go from trying to kill the church and kill Christians to saying, I will lay my life down so that people will know the gospel of God's grace? How can James, who thought his brother was out of his mind and did not believe him, then stand at this elders meeting and say, do you guys even know the scriptures? It said this was going to happen. Well, grace has a way of transforming anybody. And I really wanted to uh, hit hard on this one, that if you just think you're too far gone, too far messed up, God's grace is not done with you. I don't know what God's plan or purpose for you is, but it is greater than what you think it is. Because how we often think of ourselves is God can't do much with this. And I just wanted you to know, God's grace says this? Are you kidding me? I can use this to change the world. I can use this to change someone else's life. I can use this to encourage, to bless, to inspire, to challenge, to point somebody else towards me. Just wanted to encourage you. He can transform you. That's what God's grace does. Uh, Number seven. We're wrapping up. I didn't tell you how many because I didn't want to scare you. (laughs) Number seven. And by the way, my intent was not every single one of these is going to resonate with you. My hope was hit you with a shotgun and at least maybe a pellet would hit you and be like, wow, I needed to hear that pellet of grace. Grace puts others first. If you're going to be all grace and not grace plus, because grace plus puts you first, but if you're going to be all grace and just grace and just grace, then you're going to put other people first. And I told you before, it was kind of strange. Why would James tell the people like, hey, you know, food, sacrificed aisles, don't eat that. Blood, try to avoid drinking that. And sexual immorality, definitely stay away from that. Why would he tell these new Gentile believers, it would be beneficial to you if you abstained from these things. Why would he he say that? Why would he do that? Is James saying grace plus? No, he's saying it's just grace. But once you receive grace, 
One of the things that's going to happen to you is you're going to learn how to be gracious to other people. And what James is saying is, if you do those things, you're going to hurt your brother. You're going to lead them to sin. You're going to lead, you're going to discourage them by your actions. And what grace does to a person is, it says, you know, if me doing this is going to hurt you, I don't want to do it. If by me, even though I can do this, is going to lead you astray, then I'd, how can I do that? When I first uh, started preaching, um, someone came up to me, um, and they were like, Michael, I, I just, I appreciate you, I appreciate your heart, uh, but could you please start dressing up? And I was like, what? And they're like, people have been coming to me, Michael, and they have just been saying, it's just so hard to see Michael or hear what Michael is saying because I can't see beyond what he's wearing. And my, and by the way, I didn't honestly look too much different than I do today. I would wear sandals because I just wore Birkenstocks everywhere. And they're like, could you please lose the sandals? Would you mind tucking your shirt in? Would you mind when you had hair doing something different with it? And honestly, I went home that day and I was really discouraged, but I was frustrated. And I was like, God, what am I supposed to do with this? And the comment that stuck out to me was not, could you dress up? The comment that stuck out to me was, Michael, they just, they can't hear you. Now, I could have gone back in that, that next week and said, hey, check out my t-shirt, check out my ripped jeans, and check out my flip-flops. I hope you like it. <laughs> but I didn't. I wore khakis, I tucked my shirt in, I did something different with my hair, and I put shoes on. Why? Because it just wasn't worth it to me. And that's what grace does in a person. I could have claimed my rights and I could dress however I want to dress. If I want to wear sandals or boots, what do you care? I could have said that. But grace doesn't allow us to put ourselves first. It says put somebody else first. And Michael, if you're going to do something that might not be a big deal to you, might just be a freedom for you, but it's going to hurt someone else, then why would you do that, Michael? Is it really too hard to tuck in your shirt? Is it really too hard to put shoes on? And you know what? I went back the next week and preached, and uh, not one person came up to me and said, hey, thanks for dressing up. But I knew it made a difference. And what James is telling his, his uh, new Gentile brothers is, don't live your life in a way that would cause someone else to stumble. Don't do things that is going to lead someone else to sin. And so what I would just ask of you, is there something that you're doing right now that's actually blocking or hindering from someone else seeing the grace of God because they just can't see beyond you? And whatever that is, and you might have, the, it's not a sinful thing for you, I'm not saying that. If it's a sinful thing, then repent. But if it's just more of a freedom thing, if it has something to do with what you eat, what you drink, how you dress, what you listen to, what you, if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, if you're a grace person, and I mean not just grace plus, but just a grace person, then for the sake of them having a picture of grace, would you knock it off? It's just not worth it. And I know you can hear this and be like, I can do whatever I want. You can but if it's not benefiting someone else, then I would ask, why would you? 
grace in me is teaching me to put the needs of other people before my own needs, before my own rights, before my own wants, before my own preferences. That's number seven. Number eight, and I can't really, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time because uh, it's really interesting part of Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas are traveling back uh, to Jerusalem. They report to everyone, hey, we got good news. Here's a letter from the elders. It's just grace. It's not grace plus. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to begin their next missionary journey. And uh, the two men who fought together are now fighting together. In Acts 15, the story is uh, Barnabas was like, hey, I want to take one who's part of my family. He's coming back out with us on the road. And, Bar- and Paul was like, heck no. He deserted us on our first missionary journey. He will not travel with us again. And Barnabas says, I disagree with you. You're making the wrong decision. And both of them dug their heels into the ground and said, listen, if we're not seeing eye to eye in this, then you're going to go left and I will go right. And some people see this passage and they're like, oh, see, we got freedom just to dig our heels in with each other and fight. Scripture tells us this story, not so we can use it as an excuse. That's how we should operate with one another. It tells us a story of this is what happened with these two men. And the eighth and final principle that I learn about grace and grace alone is this. Grace allows for a second chance. Grace allows for a second chance. And again, you'll have to just bear with me for not giving all of the details here. But if you just flip towards the end of, uh, towards the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul says this, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you. When you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. It took time, but he gave him a second chance. It took time. And I don't know what was going on with, with Paul, that he didn't give a second chance right away, but he didn't. But at some point, he did. And that's what I know that grace does. It says, would you just give someone that second chance? And I realize for some of you, you're like, Michael, I'm on like the fifth chance. I'm on the 50th chance. And I know you might not like this and you might even disagree with it, but maybe it's the 51st chance of someone receiving grace where it will transform them. And you have that much grace because God's got that much grace to give to you. So is there someone in your life, your husband, your wife, a roommate, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend that is just in desperate need of you saying, you know what? God's given me more than two chances. And I just, I want to give that to you. I can't tell you. I get emotional because I can't tell you how many people have given me a second chance to grow, to learn, to fall, to make mistakes, to get back up, only to fall again. I can't tell you how many people along my journey have been so gracious to me to give me a second chance. I learned so much about grace from people who are willing to say, Michael, you're an idiot sometimes, but I love you, and I will keep walking with you. I'm so thankful for those people. So is there someone in your life that you need to give that grace to? Father God, I give you thanks for a time and a space such as this, where we can just embrace grace. God, I am so thankful that it is grace. And not grace plus. Thank you for 
rescuing us from a grace plus lifestyle. God, if there's anyone here today that has been grace plus, and that's all they've known, God, I pray today that your grace at work in them would set them free from the plus and just be embraced and enjoy just grace. God, a lot has been said today, but I trust, God, that you have been speaking to every single person that's here. And so, Jesus, I just ask right now in this moment that you, by your grace towards us, would give us courage to respond to what you have for us. God, if there's someone who's just been believing the lie from the pit of hell that says they've done too much, grace is not enough. God, I pray you would scream in their heart right now that your grace is enough. God, if there's someone who's just believing that they're too far gone to be transformed and changed, God, would you scream at their heart that your grace is enough? I want to invite you, if you were here this morning and either a grace plus person or you don't even know who Jesus is, I just want to invite you in this moment just to just cry out a simple prayer from your heart that just says, Jesus trust you. I trust you. We're going to spend some time in worship through song and uh, celebrating communion. And I just encourage you to sit, to stand, however long you want. Uh, but let this be a time where you just respond to God. What God has been talking to you about, respond. If there's something you just need to repent of, just give it to him. If a mask needs to come off, then take the mask off. And if there's a hurt that you've been carrying and grace needs to be extended, then extend the grace. We've got men and women on the sides who would love just to pray with you. If you have something that you just want to sit and have someone pray with you and over you, please do that. You can write a prayer request down on these prayer cards in the pocket in front of you and put your prayer request on those frames and we'll pray for you this week. But when you're ready uh, today, come joyfully and celebrate communion. Let today's communion be such another reminder of, man, this bread and this juice reminds me of grace.